Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, lived a knight and a dragon. The dragon had three heads with three different names. They were called me, mine, and more. The knight knew the danger this dragon posed, but no one in this land believed it could harm them. The people ignored the beast, unaware that every day it was growing in strength and devastating power, until one day it could be ignored no longer. The dragon attacked. It burnt down their houses and destroyed their village. The knight knew what he must do. get to watch that three times. You wish it was a four-part series, don't you? Well, this weekend, we continue uh, the series Slaying the Three-Headed Dragon. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll get there in just a moment. I think one of the greatest dangers that we face is that God is so good at what God does that if we aren't careful, we will take it for granted. Um, he blesses us, he graces us, and he's so faithful. And wow, we are in a season where God has blessed National Community Church in some amazing ways over the last couple of years. And listen, far beyond any kind of material blessing or things like that, it's just I love where we're at spiritually. I just sense a, a great spiritual hunger to keep pressing in, keep pressing on, and say, God, have your will and your way in us. And so I love that, but uh, boy, I need to share another blessing that's pretty remarkable. It was several months ago that I received a telephone call um, from a deacon of a church that uh, told me that uh, their church had been going through a dying process and that they believed that. They were to gift that property to another church uh, as a way of seeing it resurrected and see God's kingdom furthered. And, and uh, after months of praying, um, we said, if you vote to gift that property to us, uh, we would receive that gift. Last weekend, uh, in a vote that was 11 to 2, uh, Glen Echo Baptist Church voted to gift their property to National Community Church. Now, I want to say a couple of things about that. Number one, this doesn't happen. It just happened, but it doesn't happen. Um, number two, um, we're humbled beyond words. I... I mean, it's the kind of thing when that happens, uh, the only reaction can be, wow, well, we better steward whatever's happening here. And, and, and then I just have to say that the courage of this congregation to say that we have, we have fought our battle, we believe we've served our mission, and the humility and courage it takes to say that we think that we're to gift this to you so that you can steward this is just, I, I just, I, I don't even know, 
what to say. And so last Sunday afternoon when I got the news, um, you know, it was just one of those most humbling moments when you're just, wow, I don't even know what to do or say. Obviously, I don't know what to say or do other than um, I believe that the Lord has orchestrated this. Listen, a few years ago, I wrote a book called Wild Goose Chase, and we've kind of been on one, haven't we? And uh, I don't think it's coincidental that uh, if it weren't for Wild Goose Chase, this would have never happened. It was the book in the hands of someone who knew someone that kind of sparked a little bit of a wild goose chase. And then uh, actually some members of Glen Echo read wild goose chase. And, and somehow in the infinite plans of God, um, we are in a position to receive and steward a gift. Now I have to tell you up front, it's almost hard to announce this because we have more questions than answers. And, and But what's beautiful is that there's no time pressure. There's no pressure of any kind other than, God, how can we help serve your purposes? How can your kingdom come and your will be done um, around this metro D.C. area? And so, praise the Lord. Let's receive it with humble hearts, with grateful hearts. Let's kind of hold on to it. Let's put it to prayer. And uh, ultimately, it's exciting to see uh, how God is going to further his kingdom through this. So, praise the Lord. Are you to 1 Corinthians yet? <laughs> Chapter 6 and verse number 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Critical declaration, critical statement. I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord will is one with him in spirit. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We are going to unpack this passage of scripture, and here's the deal. I'm going to talk a little bit faster than normal. It's funny. I was driving Josiah to a soccer game on Saturday morning, and for whatever reason, he like went into this slow mode where he started to talk in slow motion. I was like, what is going on? I have no idea what, but kids do that. And so then I started talking in a very rapid voice, like, Josiah, how are you? Are you excited about your game today? And then, you know, we started doing this kind of back and forth deal, and I'm just giving you a glimpse into my life, okay? Just <laughs> hang with me. And, and so um, all of that to say that I might talk a little bit faster than normal tonight because they've got a lot to say, and I want to get through it. And, and here's the cool thing. You have the ability to listen and process much faster than I have the ability to speak. And so if it feels like I'm going a little bit fast, it's because I am. I love the declaration in this passage. Think of it as a declaration of independence, if you will. I will not be mastered by anything. Now, the word mastered, if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write some of this down, is the Greek root exousia, which is translated power 
in the New Testament, but it's a unique form of power. In fact, the best translation would probably be willpower. Now, there are a couple of other words that are translated power from the Greek language. One of them is dunamis. It's probably the most repeated word. And a good example would be the series that we came out of last, Acts 1.8, um, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on. That's dunamis. And uh, here's a couple of definitions. Dunamis, uh, that form of power, is the ability uh, to do things that are beyond your ability. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, no, it's supernatural ability. It's the way that God empowers us to do things that are beyond our human ability. Now, exousia is very different. Okay, I want you to get this nuance and maybe write it down. In fact, I'll say it twice. It's the ability to not do what you have the ability to do. Well, that doesn't sound like an ability. Oh, really? Oh, I tell you what, this is a whole, this is a rare form of power. This is a different kind of power. It's the power to not do what you have the ability to do. It's the power to say no, or more accurately, in the context of the God of more that we're talking about slaying this weekend, it's the ability to say no more. No more. It's the ability to discipline yourself. It's the ability to resist temptation. It's the ability to slay the three-headed dragon. Now, here's what's interesting. This this three-headed dragon, the god of more lust in particular, you can't slay this particular dragon with dunamis. That form of power is effective on lots of different fronts. But in this instance, you need exousia. You need this power, the ability to not do what you have the ability to do. And I want to suggest that willpower is a lot like a muscle. In fact, maybe it is a spiritual muscle. And the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. You have to consistently say no when you want to say yes, and you will become more adept at saying no. But it's not easy. But as you exercise it, You cultivate self-control. You cultivate discipline. You cultivate willpower. You know what? Sometimes you need to do it just to do it, to just make sure that nothing's mastering you. This summer, uh, our family fasted television. I mean, it wasn't really any huge reason like we have any big issue with television. It's just we didn't want to waste the whole summer watching TV. And so we suspended our subscription and said for three months, we're not going to watch it. And... uh, it was fantastic. And one of the things I discovered is, you know what? Sometimes I allow TV to kind of control my schedule. Sometimes I allow TV to kind of control my thoughts because what I'm consuming begins to dictate to me what I'm thinking about. In fact, I would suggest that television can be a form of gluttony. Yeah, we're going to talk about gluttony too. It's entertainment lust. If you watch too much, your soul will atrophy. Now, I believe that all of us, to one degree or another, have addictive personalities. Uh, Now, I think some of us, we're addicted to good things, and we we find a way to redeem that addictive personality in more positive ways. But some of us, it's um, channeled in more negative ways. And and I want to talk about this because we need to. Um, Here's the challenge we face. God has created us with lots of desires. They're, They're hardwired into our genetic makeup, if you will. And, and these desires are good. Let me mention a few of them. 
the desire for sex, good. The desire for food, it's good. Uh, the desire for work, the desire for resent, the desire for money. I think all of those desires can be tremendously um, wonderful desires, but here's where I want to be very careful and parse this the right way. These desires were meant to be servants. And they make great servants when you use those desires to serve God's purposes, but they are terrible masters. And if we aren't careful, those desires can begin to master us. How? Well, when you no longer control the desire and the desire controls you. So your desire for sex or your desire for food or your desire for money starts to dictate your decisions in a way that you start making sacrifices or start making compromises that that lead you down a path that moves you away from a relationship with God. And so instead of turning to God, we turn to food for comfort. You know, it's our comfort food. Or, Or instead of turning to your spouse, you turn to pornography. Or instead of turning to worship, you turn to money. And we allow those holy desires to lead to unholy decisions. And instead of being controlled by the Spirit of God, which is ultimately the objective, is it not? The goal is to be in a position where our lives are completely controlled by the Spirit of God. We allow something else to have a controlling effect upon us. By the way, it's no coincidence, I think, that nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. What came last? And there's a little part of me think that it's the, it's, the, it's the fruit that takes the longest to grow, and it's the fruit that takes the longest to ripen, but it, boy, if you can get to number nine, wow, then life tastes good because nothing is controlling you uh, save the Spirit of God. But here's the bottom line. I think many of us have an Achilles heel because of these addictive personalities. Many of us have a thorn in the flesh. Many of us have something that would desire to master us. And I know that many of you this weekend, you're mastered by something. And there's certainly a spectrum. Some of them are so destructive and no one even knows about it. And some of them are relatively minor and less harmful, but one way or the other, the objective is to get to the point where we are controlled by the Spirit of God. And so how do we make this declaration? I will not be mastered by anything. And then how do we live it out? Well, it's not easy, but I want to throw a few things out. We're going to keep it very practical, very biblical, and see where it takes us. I think that there are a couple of ways to slay this this God of more, if you will. I think one is, let me just say it like it is. There are some addictions. There are some things that have mastered you. You just need to quit cold turkey. And if you don't, you'll never master it. You cannot overcome it. I think alcohol is a good example. You know, I think that there are people who can drink in moderation, but there are those who cannot. There are those people who have been mastered by something. And man, you just, you need to just quit cold turkey because it's the only way that you're going to overcome that. Um, I think that there are some situations where maybe it doesn't have to be cold turkey, but maybe what you need to do, and stick with me, okay? Because I think it'll make sense in a few minutes. You need to choose your poison. 
Let me say it this way. Choose your addictions wisely. Like how many of you know someone who's addicted to exercise or addicted to running? Like now, now that can be unhealthy. And wow, some hands went right up. (laughs) Thank you for that confession. Um, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Your friend. Um, So, you know, there are addictions that can actually, you know, further our health and can be, but you also have to be careful that those things don't then supersede whatever else. Like, don't get your high from a runner's high, get your high from worshiping your creator. You know what I mean? So even there, you've got to be very careful. But I think there are situations where you can substitute. Um, I have a sweet tooth. I like gummy bears, and in particular, um, Haribo brand gummy bears. And for several years, I consumed them at an alarming rate. Man, I had people that for Christmas, you ever seen a five-pound bag of gummy bears? You, I'm not even going to tell you how long those lasted, because it was ridiculous, because I couldn't stop eating them. And then I discovered that uh, it's about 500 calories of pure sugar, essentially, in a bag of gummy bears. Um, you know, that's about one quarter of my allotted calories. So one-fourth of my diet was gummy bears there for quite a while. Um, I ate gummy bears like they were one of the food groups. You got your meats, you got your fruits, your vegetables, and your gummy bears, you know? Um, and in fact, I remember a few years ago, we hiked the uh, Grand Canyon rim to rim, my son and I. And uh, it was 130 degrees um, during the day. And, and now for the trip, you know, some people will pack their cliff bars or their, you know, their granola bars, whatever. Like I packed a bunch of gummy bag bags because um, I knew that there would be moments that I would need a little extra energy to make the 23.6 mile hike. And uh, so here's what's kind of crazy. It was so hot, 130 degrees, that at one point at the end of the first day, we got to the bottom and I took out one of my bags of gummy bears. It was like liquefied gummy bears. It was a gummified liquid that had mixed together. Um, But here's what's so great. That night it got really cold as it does in the Grand Canyon and it re-solidified. And so no longer did I have all kinds of little individual. I had one like gummy blob. And I ate it. And it was good. Now, here's what I've done. I'm no longer addicted to gummy bears. Let me tell you what happened. I am now addicted to Tic Tacs, but not any kind of Tic Tacs. Wintergreen Tic Tacs. And I just have to ask this. I'm like a crack addict. You guys, this is pathetic. I literally, this week, I visited seven different gas stations because they tend to have my, you know, my fix. And so, and, and, but they don't all carry wintergreen. And if it's not wintergreen, it's not working for me. And uh, my kids have literally said, dad, we think that you're addicted to Tic Tacs and they are right. (laughs) But those Tic Tacs only have 60 calories. I don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) If I'm going to be addicted to some form of candy, then I feel like I've taken a step in the right direction from gummy bears to Tic Tacs. What was the point of that again? Oh yeah, choose your addictions wisely. And now in all seriousness, here's what I believe. I believe 
that, that in some instances, it's very difficult to overcome addictive personality, but I think that you can trade some sinful addictions for some addictions that will actually nurture spiritual health and physical health. You can do this, but you can't just quit doing something. Usually, you've got to substitute something in. It's, it's like you can't just flee from immorality, which we'll talk about. Like, you got to seek God. You have to go after God. You have to move in the direction of God and it'll move you away from the sin that you're struggling with. By the way, one other little idea. I actually think that substituting idea, some of you, you just need to pray and say, God, how can I get rid of this? And is there something I can do that's gonna fill the gap? That, By the way, that's why it's so important when you're fasting something, don't just give something up. Add something into your spiritual regimen in a way that you're cultivating some, not just good habit, but God habit. All right, here's another way that I think you, you just don't let things master you is you find a way to scale back. Now, again, if it's something that's sinful, I'm not gonna settle for anything less than just cold turkey, absent, like cut it out, quit, okay? But sometimes you have to move in that direction by beginning to scale back. Now, it isn't a license to sin. In fact, let me frame it uh, theologically. I, I think that uh, Lent is a good kind of model or example. Now, Lent is when you give something up for, for 40 days. It's actually longer than 40 days, but from Ash Wednesday until um, Easter Sunday, you give something up. But one form of practicing Lent is that uh, you fast for six days, but Sunday is a non-fasting day. And so whatever you've given up, say you've given up meat to eat, you can eat meat on that seventh day. Now, for some, that may seem like a cop-out, or but, but it's an interesting form of fasting. And I don't know that it's totally unlike the six-to-one pattern where you work for six days and you rest on the seventh day. And in some ways, I think giving something up for six days is, is gets you a lot closer to making sure that that thing doesn't matter Master you than, than, you know, not doing it at all. And so um, I think it's, it's scaling back for seasons at different times. Just like when we gave up TV, well, I, it has less of a hold on me now. And, and I mean, of course, we turn it back on in football season. Of course, we turn it back on, <laughs> but it has less of a hold on me. Um, let me, let me, so what I'm trying to say is find a, a rhythm. In fact, maybe a way of thinking of like six days of fasting, one day of feasting would be kind of a, a rhythm that you can, and it helps break the control over your life. Now, I have a friend, Chris C. Chris is a wonderful guy, pastors Ecclesia in Houston, and we were having dinner uh, a couple of months ago, and um, we have the same agent, and so uh, his newest book, he was telling me about it. It's titled, A Place at the Table, 40 Days of Solidarity with the Poor. Now, here's what I love. It's a book that's a call to action, and he challenges readers to eat like the poor for 40 days as an act of solidarity with the vast majority of the world, and then use the money that you save on groceries to, to do something to help care for the poor. Now, Chris practices what he preaches, and so I think for 40 days, if I remember right, I think Chris ate rice, only rice, for 40 days. And... and um, and so we were talking over dinner and it felt kind of funny because we're talking about how he ate rice for four days and you should see this guy eat at that dinner at that steakhouse. I'm like, dude, you can throw down like me. Um, 
and, and yet he was eating right. And, and, but then Chris went into kind of his theology, and I, and I love it. He said, you know what? As Americans, we are just overindulgent. We indulge on everything, so we don't even enjoy the indulgence because we're always indulging. And he said, if we could recapture this idea of, of fasting and feasting in a rhythm of life, then, because how many of you know it's true? After you fast, oh, the stuff tastes good. I mean, even stuff you don't like, you love because you're hungry. I mean, the best meals, the meals that I've enjoyed the most, the greatest feast, always follow a season of fasting. The problem is, is that like, if you are gluttonous in, in the dimension of food, then you will no longer enjoy food. You don't enjoy it anymore because it's no longer special. There's nothing significant because you're indulging yourself all the time. And so if we could recapture this idea of, of fasting and feasting, but most of us are only good at one or the other. Um, and so remember that old saying, um, oh, what, what is it? Um, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Listen, all fasting and no feasting makes you a dull person. I believe that God has created food and there's a reason why I created all these different types of food for our enjoyment. And I think it's a good thing. And the Bible clearly says that, you know, um, that when we eat, we're to glorify God and give him praise and thanks. And, and so I think feasting can be a wonderful thing. But what I want you to see is that feasting prepares us for fasting and fasting prepares us for feasting. Are you still with me? And what I'm saying is this is one key to not letting something master you. It's finding this rhythm of life where you are fasting and feasting in a way that you are honoring God. Problem is we want to indulge ourselves on whatever we want, whenever we want. It's just the culture that we live in. And I'm saying that we're robbing ourselves. We're robbing ourselves of the joy that God, because the God of more says more. And then he says, more, 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 more. And enough is never enough. And it satisfies less and less. In fact, the technical term is like hedonistic adaptation, something like that, that it takes more and more for you to be satisfied less and less. You need more of a fix. You need a higher dose. It doesn't satisfy. In fact, let me just come out and say this right now. I believe that one of the biggest, one of the reasons why many of us are so frustrated in so many areas of our life with a job or with our marriage is because we want some, something to completely satisfy us. Food, sex, work, whatever. And if we could just come to the terms with the fact that nothing is completely satisfying this side of eternity. It's just not. And so you can have an amazing meal or amazing sex, and those are great things in the right holy context. But I promise you, the effect is going to wear off, and you're going to need to eat again, and you're going to want to have sex again because those things don't fully and completely satisfy. And if we could just come to terms with the fact that the God of more is a liar, but see, the God of more says, well, if you just, just a little bit more, just a little more, and you'll be satisfied. But we're trying to fill, you know, in the words of Augustine, you know, the God-shaped vacuum in our hearts with something else. And it doesn't work. The only thing that ultimately satisfied is the creator who gave us these things for our enjoyment, for to serve his purposes, wonderful things. But when they become the master, 
Oh, man, we find ourselves in a terrible fix. So what I'm trying to say is, man, how do we slay this dragon of more? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it starts with making a declaration. I will not be mastered by anything. Now, I'm going to tell you that one of the hardest spiritual disciplines for me to practice is fasting. I don't think I'm going out on a limb when I say that it's probably the least practiced spiritual discipline, you know, that there is. Would that, would you agree with that, generally speaking? Um, uh, And the reason is we like food. And I, I, you know, um, fago de chow, I'm like a Pavlovian dog and I start to drool and I, like 15 cuts of meat, and I mean, and I, like, I love it. And I'm, by the way, I'm strategic. Don't you dare go to the salad bar at Fago de Chow. I don't care how good it is. That's poor stewardship. They got 15 cuts of meat coming, okay? You save your appetite for those 15 cuts of meat. Um, but I really felt like because it's such a hard one for me to cultivate because I love food, that a few months ago I started fasting much more regularly. I want to tell you something, and here's, here's the only way I know to say it. This is not going to happen if you just listen to a message. The only way it's going to happen is if you make a declaration in your spirit and in agreement with 1 Corinthians six twelve. you circle it, you underline it, and say, this word is a word for me. I will not be mastered by anything. And you clench your jaw, and not by your own power, but by the willpower that's in you, the Spirit of God, that exousia that the Spirit of God gives you. You say, I will not be mastered by anything. I can tell you something, that when I'm fasting and I start feeling hunger pains, let me tell you what goes on in my spirit. I start quoting Matthew 4, 4. I think about Jesus fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, and he says, when the enemy tempts, he says, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone. I love it. It's almost like in your face. Man doesn't live on bread alone. And when I start feeling hunger pains, I say, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so I declare that I will not be mastered. And here's another thing I've learned. Man, if you can master one of these spiritual disciplines and nothing else is going to master you. In fact, I would even say this, that, you know what, this is crazy, but listen, I promise you, there is a direct link between physical disciplines and spiritual disciplines. You can't tell me that someone that's disciplined in exercise or disciplined in diet, disciplined in going to the gym, that it's not easier for them to practice spiritual disciplines. Um, I absolutely believe that there's a connection between those two things. And in light of that, let's go to the next verse, because I think Paul makes a connection here between spiritual things and material things. Verse 13. I know you're thinking, oh man, he's only one verse in. Wow, okay, I'm gonna have to talk even faster. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So Paul makes an allusion to food and I think it's okay to talk about it because 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So how do you eat to the glory of God? Well, let me share a little theology of food and kind of make a connection between a couple of these things. It's important to realize that, that there's a distinction here between eating to live and living to eat. Now, if you're living to eat, then at some point, uh, food has begun to control you. But if you're eating to live, well, then you're still mastering uh, that component. And there's a difference between those two things. And so 
Are you eating to live or living to eat? And, and it, it, if you can discipline yourself in that arena, it's going to help you in every other way. Now, I promise you, I'm not going to make the mistake of reducing gluttony down to food consumption. And I'm not even going to say that obesity and gluttony are one and the same. They aren't. Listen, there are genetic factors. There are metabolism factors. And, and the truth is, listen, you know what? A lot of us, a lot of us, here's the deal. We are... Um, gluttons for clothes, we're gluttons for gaming, we're gluttons for exercise, we're gluttons for golf, we're gluttons for Facebook, we're gluttons for email. So don't, don't talk to me about like food is just the most obvious because you can't hide it as easily. But it's the invisible forms of gluttony that we've got to look out for. So gluttony isn't about food. You can be anorexic and it's a form of gluttony. See, gluttony is just, it's never satisfied. It's like more, more, more. I have to lose more, more weight, more, more weight, or I have to eat more and more and more. Like it's just, it's the God of more. Gluttony is is a cousin to lust in that you just are never satisfied and you hate it, but it's controlling you and you've got to break that control. And so it's not just a food issue. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's much bigger than that. Um, but how many, it's hard to say no. By the way, this, I might as well just give you a little confession. This week, uh, campus pastors and I went over to DC3 over on Barracks Row. Um, they have hot, I had no idea how many different kinds of hot dogs there are and how many things that you can get on it. And so, um, and, and so I got a, uh, a hot dog uh, deep fried um, with wrapped in bacon with cheese whiz. Was I sinning? That's really the question right there. Um, but not only that, you can get fried pickles on it. And then for dessert, you can get fried Oreos. And in that instance, it did seem like not getting fried Oreos would be poor stewardship. And so we ordered them. But here's the, here was the amazing thing. We all only um, had uh, one of them. Actually, one campus pastor had two. Um, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> um, that was for Georgetown. Um, and, but I want you to know that in saying all of that, we got up to the cash register and Pastor Mike, campus pastor at Barracks Row and Ebenezer's, he can vouch for this, that we got up there and said, you know what, I- I'm going to get water because I'm eating healthy. <laughs> all kind of works itself out. Um, but here again, are you eating that way every meal? Or is that an occasional form of Fasting. Um, and I'll talk about that because in that instance, I don't know, some of our campus pastors may have been sinning, but I wasn't. Can I say that? <laughs> but I consume probably more saturated fat in that one meal than I have in the last month. And so, and I might, if I have time, I'll talk about that. What I'm trying to say is that we've got to cultivate these disciplines And when you cultivate spiritual disciplines, I think it helps you cultivate physical disciplines and the two are interrelated. That's why Paul's talking about food because if you aren't careful, um, you'll turn to other things. And at the end of the day, gluttony is the unwillingness to say no more. I wonder if some of you are at that point. Are you you ready to say no more? Because that's what it's gonna take. Now, the next verse, um, it says, flee from sexual immorality. And, and when you think about lust, we tend to think about that. But again, it's a much larger issue. Um, the word flee is the Greek word fuego, means to disappear quickly, to become invisible, to escape. In other words, it's to make every effort to walk out of a situation. We talked about that last weekend. 
What's interesting is that it's an active imperative verb, which is not insignificant. In other words, like now, 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 not tomorrow, not next week, yesterday, like active, imperative, now, like flee, now, not, not, Okay, so let's get practical. Some of you are in a dating relationship and the goal of this message is not to break you up. (laughs) But I'm not gonna not say this. Some of you are in a dating relationship and the longer you date, the harder it will be to get out of a relationship that you know isn't right. It's not honoring God. It's taking you down a path towards sexual immorality. It's taking you down a path where you find your resistance to lust is getting less and less and less. And and yet, what do we do? Instead of fleeing it, we flirt with it. We flirt with it instead of fleeing from it. And and, like, I don't even know how to say this nicely or softly. So I might as well just say it bluntly. Like you need to get out of certain situations in your life. I know some of you do, because I've been in those situations where you know what? You just need to flee it. Now, let me back up because, you know, you're here like, man, I appreciate you saying that, but you have no idea the complexities of my situation. Or Listen, I, all I know is I read the story of Joseph. And I think to myself that the whole story would have never happened if it weren't for one defining moment in his life that was pretty embarrassing. When, when Potiphar's wife starts flirting with him, what does he do? He doesn't flirt back. He doesn't even stay there. It says he, he ran, he ran out of there. He, he fled that situation and it was that defining decision. I think it could be for you too. That defining decision, say, I will not be mastered by anything. I'm not gonna flirt with this. I'm gonna flee from it. And you see, it means to move in the opposite direction. It doesn't mean to like, okay, I'm gonna inch closer and closer. I'm gonna get as close as I can. No, it means that you turn tail and you run as fast and as far as you possibly can in the other direction. Now, I, I don't want to like get too in-depth here, but listen, one of the things that I determined a lot when I first started in ministry, because I knew that a lot of pastors get into trouble. And one of the reasons why they get into trouble is because they don't keep themselves out of situations where they can get in trouble. And, you know, especially in the area of, of sex and finances. I mean, there's a lot of churches that, that they, they um, pastors made mistakes in those areas. And so, you know, hey, listen, I mean, we've made decisions where I'm not going to touch the finances. I'm not going to be, I don't sign any account. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not even going to be anywhere in proximity to that. <laughs> and then we have our annual audit and there are lots of, so that, because not that there's any temptation. I just don't want to even be in proximity to it. Like, I want to move in the opposite direction of it. And, and, and then again, this is personal. I'm not prescribing this for anybody else, but I made a determination that I would never be alone with a woman besides my wife. Now, are there caveats there? Of course. You know, I have meetings, but never closed door meetings, never where any blind is pulled anything. Um, and in those occasional rare situations where I find myself in a situation with someone of the opposite, like, because that does happen. Sometimes it's unavoidable. I call Laura right before, if I'm able to do that, or right after. And I just tell her. Now, she's not, she didn't say like, do that. And it's not a big, it's really not even a big deal because it's almost second nature at this point. But I just never put myself in those situations because I want to be moving in the opposite direction. 
because I love my wife and my family and I love my church. I don't want to mess up. And I'm not beyond it. In fact, I know when you preach messages like that, would you pray for me? Because when you start to traffic in areas like this where you're challenging every, you better be the first person who looks in the mirror. Um, now, let me scale back for just a moment and you're gonna have to hang in there because I'm gonna try to go, I'm gonna try to limit about five more minutes. Here's why, here's why we don't flee sexual immorality. Here's why there's so much sexual confusion and brokenness in our culture, okay? I'm just gonna keep it short and sweet. It's because we have a low view of the body and a low view of sex. It's because we don't understand that we were created in the image of God. It's because we don't understand this very passage of scripture where, you know, when it says that the two will become one flesh, what a perspective on marriage. Now, I have the privilege of officiating a lot of weddings, and sometimes I'll give the, the quick quiz question during premarital counseling, like, when do you think you're actually married? Is it like when you say, I do? Or is it when you sign the marriage certificate? Um, it's not either of those things, and that's good, because I have forgotten to sign the marriage license and send it in. Um, but then I've always eventually remembered. So if I've married you, I promise you, you are legally married. Um, but, but I, I tuck up, listen, it's, it's when you consummate that marriage with sexual intercourse. I, I don't know why God did it that way, but when, when the two become one flesh, sex is a sacred covenant between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage, period. Now, that's a high view of sex, but because we have a low view, oh man, I mean, just have sex with anybody and everybody and, oh, it doesn't really matter. Oh, it does matter because you are, you are degrading something that was meant to be sacred, that was meant to be pure. The Bible says, keep the marriage bed pure. Well, how do you do that? By, by making sure that you understand sex is a sacred covenant between a husband and a wife. By the way, let me just say this, because you, know, you can talk about lust, but I, I think in the context of sex within marriage, I think there are two dangers. One is lust, that you look outside, that, that you think you have to go outside the boundaries of your marriage to be satisfied sexually. It's a lie. Because that won't satisfy you. It'll just tear everything else up. So you know what? In, in the spirit of fairness, I think one of the other sins is sloth. It's one of the seven deadly things. I think sloth in the area of sexuality in a marriage relationship is not healthy or holy. It's something like anything else. You have to work at. You have to work together to cultivate that healthy dimension of your relationship. And so let's stay away from lust and from sloth and make sure that we have a proper understanding. Now, not only that, it says, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I mean, it goes on to say, do you not realize when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become part of the body of Christ. And if you join your body in some unholy act with someone else, you are prostituting the body of Christ. Okay, those are bold words. But it's because we're afraid to say it that then we give kind of this unspoken permission for people to kind of make those, listen, no, no. We are part of the body of Christ. Christ lives in me. Far be it from me to join the body of Christ in some way that it should not be with someone else. And your body is a temple. Whoa, everybody, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, good looking temple. I don't know if I should have done that. That was a spur-of-the-moment thing. 
that was a little weird. You got to treat your body like a temple, something sacred, something holy. And uh, I don't have time, but you need to take some preventative measures. You need to make some pre-decisions. You need to establish some boundaries. Like, let, let me just give you, you know, again, I said there's, there's no new sin under the sun in terms of the, it's the desires of the flesh that cause us to sin. But technology has given us a lot of new ways to sin. And so, you know, I think sexting is one of them. It's so easy to hide behind kind of the, this texting thing, and then, and then you can kind of cross a line, and you begin to flirt with something. And then, I mean, and, and listen, if, if you're sexting, that, that dishonors God. It dishonors whoever you're, you're texting. It's just wrong. And so what I would say is then you need to quit texting altogether. Just cut it out. Flee from sexual immorality. That's what it looks like. Like we turn it into kind of this mystical thing. Hmm, fleeing. Let's think about that in a very esoteric kind of way. No, just get out of there. Just cut it out. Just stop it. All right. Let me move towards close. Ultimately, at the end of the day, this is where I stop preaching and then you make the decision, am I going to do something with this? Am I going to open myself up and even kind of listen to what he said and open myself up to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Am I going to kind of dig deep? And man, are there forms of gluttony in my life where I'm unwilling to say no more, where, I'm, where maybe I'm trying to meet some need with something else instead of really pressing into the presence of God? I mean, this is where you just have to do business and you have to mean business. But it's going to come down to a point where you say enough is enough. Where you don't just say no, you just say no more. Or you're just sick of the sin in your life. You're sick of something that's mastering you. For some of you, it's been years, for some decades. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Don't you dare think, well, I'm not going to try because I don't think I can do it. Can you do it for one day? You bet you can. And then can his mercies be new every morning? And can he help you tomorrow? Listen, you can do some things. Don't fight. Just fight. Not in your own strength, but muster a little willpower and say, Holy Spirit, help me. And then when you, when you fail, don't quit. Because the enemy wants you to think if you take one step back, you might as well go all the way back. Just throw in the towel. It's one of the enemy's lies. No. Hey, I took a step back, but I just taken two steps forward. I'm going to move in the direction a living a life of holiness where I'm not mastered by anything. Is it going to be easy? No. It's going to be hard. Because you have to come to a point where enough is enough. A week ago, I was at Results Gym working out. And uh, love it. Someone came in, NCC. I recognized him from one of our locations. And uh, the first person he saw, he was there touring it, deciding whether to get a membership or not. First person he saw was me, my, my sweaty self on the elliptical, uh, working out. And uh, afterwards, he caught me and he said, you know what? It's no coincidence that you're the first person I saw because some of your messages, they've been working on me. And I just, he's like, I used to bench, I think he said 315 pounds, used to work out with 315. Like, that's serious. And so, you know, this dude was in shape. He said, I haven't stepped foot in a gym in 16 years until today. He said, I walk in and the first person I see is you. 
And he's like, I just felt like it was the Lord's way of saying, like, man, you, this is good. And then I've seen him at the gym since, and, and I was just so proud of him because do you know how hard it is to kind of lose that battle for 16 years but say, you know what, maybe I can win. Maybe I can do this thing. He just said, enough is enough. I don't like the way my temple looks. I don't like the way my temple feels. I'm going to start taking care of it. Comes down to a decision where enough is enough. You say no more. You do the right thing. You know, it's interesting, the, the timing of this, and then I'll be done. I, um, six months ago, I weighed 230 pounds because I stopped exercising because I had a writing deadline. I was eating my lunch. My body started falling apart. You know, I mentioned my plantar fasciitis and just a bunch of different physical problems. My asthma got worse. I just felt terrible. And then a month ago, I hiked Half Dome. It was, it was so hard because I wasn't in great shape. And we get up there and I see this thing etched on the rock. You saw it a few weeks ago. If you can do this, you can do anything. You know what? I figured that that day I burned about 10,000 calories, about 14 hours of hiking. I thought to myself, you know what? If I'm not going to do this, I'm never going to do it. Do you know for five years, I have tried to get back, just tip the scale underneath 200. I've not been able to do it. When we went to the Grand Canyon, I wanted to do a mule ride, but you had to weigh 200 pounds. I couldn't do it. I didn't even get close. I, I just couldn't do it. And, and then I had a point where like enough is enough. If I can hike half dome, like I can do this thing. This week, I tipped the scales 199. Um, and, and part of the reason why I wanted to do that was because I couldn't do it for five years. You know what? At some point, enough is enough. I'm not going to buy in a lie that I can't do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's not some like spiritual thing. Like I can pray for someone who's sick and they can be healed. Yes, that can happen too. But it's also like, I can do all things. through. Like he can give me the willpower to do whatever or to not do whatever. I don't care how addicted you are. I don't care how much something has mastered you. Jesus said, I came to set the captive free. He whom the son set free is free indeed. The trick is learning to discover and live in the freedom that he has offered you. Man, step out of that sin. I will not be mastered by anything. Flee from any form of immorality. Step into the purposes of God and live victoriously in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and ask you to help us. We can't do it, but you can do it in us and through us. God, I sure hope that this does not come across as some pep talk. Lord, I believe for many of us, this is a word from the Lord. This is an active, imperative word from the Lord. Now, right now, act on this. Today is the day of the Lord's favor. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Would you help us? God, would you help us resolve in our spirits that, is, that enough is enough. God, I pray in particular for marriages that need healing. God, I pray that you would invade those situations and bring healing and wholeness and restore trust and restore a healthy relationship in every way. God, I pray for those that have struggled in secret for a long time because the enemies wanted them to keep the secret.
God, I pray that somehow this weekend they would come out of the dark, just be courageous enough to make a confession, to repent, and to move into the grace of God. There's not one of us here that isn't scarred. There's not one person that doesn't have a thorn in the flesh, that doesn't have some addictive tendency. I don't believe it. But I believe that there isn't a single person here who can't overcome in the power, the exousia, the power that you have given to us. And so we lay claim to it. We seize it in Jesus' name. Amen.